you're a Christian in here today, you know why we celebrate Easter. It's because we're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you are, a, if you're not a believer in here, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a seeker or just here to check things out, someone invited you and dragged you along, then um, uh, today is for Jesus' resurrection. Um, that's why we celebrate it. So I'm going to go a little different than what I had planned on doing this morning. Um, Matt's, Matt's testimony really uh, just struck me, and I've heard that before, um, but it just struck me this morning. So a couple things this week that, that I've been just thinking about, reflecting on as, as Palm Sunday happened. Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly last Sunday. Um, this is, you know, historical account. He enters Jerusalem. Five days later, the same, the same group of people that praised him as the victor, as the king, as the one they were honoring, is the same mob that's saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. So just in a matter of five days, uh, they switch from praising him to uh, wanting his death. And they got it. Uh, they got his death. And But it was all part of God's plan. It was all part of God's plan. Jesus says, I lay down my life willingly, and I can take it back up again whenever I want. So he's laying his life down. It was all part of God's plan. Um, and we've, we've hinted at or we've talked o about this a lot as we've been through Hebrews the past five weeks. Um, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and we've dealt with uh, Jesus and his divinity, Jesus and his humanity, Jesus uh, being our mediator. Because he's both divine and human, he's our mediator between us and God. And then Jesus, as the atoning sacrifice, he, he makes recompense for our sin. He justifies us before the Father. Um, and then we talked about how he's the author of our faith, how he writes the beginning, middle, and end of our faith. He starts it and he finishes it. And today we're going to talk about Jesus being the victor, that he's overcome. And so leading up to this week, just been reflecting on a couple of things. Uh, Missy and I, my wife, actually watched uh, The Passion of the Christ this week. Uh, and has it? movie we haven't seen. It's not one of those movies. You guys know what movie I'm talking about, Mel Gibson rendition. Um, it's one of those movies that you don't just normally pop into to the Blu-ray player, DVD player, and think, oh yeah, this is an entertaining movie I get to watch. Um, so uh, we have it, actually, but I don't remember ever watching it before. Um, so some some reason God stirred in my heart and her heart that uh, just, just to watch it week so we watched it and kind of like Matt's testimony it's it struck me in a different way than it had before um, if you've never seen this movie it's very graphic it's um, it's it, it brings out elements that you don't normally think about when you think about the life of Christ um, there's this and maybe I picked up on this more now that I'm a father um, there's a scene where, where Mary sees Jesus carrying the cross and she stumbles and she has this flashback to him stumbling on her feet. Um, we don't normally think about that when we read the 
family ties and he's giving up not just he hasn't just given up um heaven now he has this earthly life that he's he's been that he's releasing um and everything that goes along with the religious life of him and so uh as as the soldiers so the story of the crucifixion goes like this um he goes before this tribunal they convict him or actually they don't convict him they say he's innocent and then the mob pronounces him uh gives him the death penalty basically um they take him and they flog him and they whip him and they um, basically by the end of it you see his ribs you see all his bones um, this is how brutal it was and the soldiers are are taking joy in it another thing that that um, you know you don't normally think about when you're just reading the scriptures but in the movie they they per- portray like the soldiers taking joy in it I mean this was their job they did this the Romans had perfected um, this art of punishing and crucifixion. So, um, and they wanted to make the most brutal ever. Most people who actually went through the flogging didn't even make it to the crucifixion. Um, Jesus made it all the way, obviously. So, um, and the question that we've been asking over the past five, six weeks is why Jesus, right? We have these banners up here. We've been going through our Why Jesus series and Hebrews, and it's more been a question of uh, why Jesus. So our series has been more kind of apologetic. We've said, you know, if you're a seeker, if if um, this is if you're not sure, if you have doubts, this is why you should believe in Jesus. So we've had more of like an, uh, defending the faith type of tone to the series. The question that popped in my head as I was watching the Passion of the Christ wasn't. Why, why Jesus? Why should we believe in Jesus? It was, why Jesus? Why? Why did you do this for us? Why did you go through that for us? Why would you? What compelled you to do that for us? And I'm just thinking of my own failings and sin and brokenness and faithlessness and thinking, witnessing this flogging she goes this goes kind of through to the heavens this Jesus and this whenever you see fit and I just was watching the movie and thinking just just do this like you don't have to go through this for me and so I want to just definitely based off of Matthew's testimony I want to go into that question why Jesus so if you're a Christian here this morning, um, this is going to hopefully renew your faith, re-energize your faith, show you why this is your faith. Because I feel like we forget. I feel like if I look at the, the present state of the church today, Trinity Life included, the church in our city, the church in the West in particular, we've lost sight of why this is our faith. If you're a seeker, if you're, uh, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you're more of an intellectual type today, um, just maybe ob- observe and take from this from this sermon over the next next uh, twenty five minutes or so. Uh, 
what the church should be. Um, so I'm probably going to make a lot of assertions, <laughs> which they taught me never to do in school, uh, without any grounds or warrant. Um, but if you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, that's right. Um, if you're not, go listen to our previous five sermons. That's where we give the grounds and warrants for what's happening today. Um, so, yeah, let's just let's just talk about Jesus today. Let's just do that. Let's talk about who Jesus is, what he's done, why it matters. Um, I'm still going to probably go through this passage that I was going to go through. Um, And we're going to talk about this. I mean, through Jesus' death, we have been given life. That's a paradox of the Christian faith. Through his death, we've been given life. Through his resurrection, though, we've been given victory. Those things go hand in hand. So let me read this passage to you out of Hebrews 13. This is how the book of Hebrews ends. It's the benediction or the blessing. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I think this is what we're going to do today. So let's go. So I'm going to stick with a little bit of what I had, um, and then I'll throw a bunch of stuff in. So this overall structure, let's go with how we did the series. Divinity, humanity, mediator, atonement, perfecter, author of faith, now now victory. So five points. Um so this says here that he says, now may the God of peace, you know, so if we're asking the question, why Jesus, why, why? This is how the author of Hebrews is going to answer it. He answers it first by saying, well, it's because if Jesus is speaking, it's because I am God. Jesus would say, well, well the answer is it's because I'm God. Um, and I'm not going to defend that this morning. So if you're not a believer in here this morning, Listen to our divinity sermon four weeks ago that Daniel preached. You did that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, listen to that one. So I'm not going to defend that. We're just going to assume that. Because that's actually what the writer of Hebrews, do. he puts it right up front. He says, this is who our God is. He says this. He says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And he's the heir of all things. And he says, through him, the world was created. And he's the radiance. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He's exactly God. Okay? And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not by his big muscles, but by the word of his power. Then it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So the writer of Hebrews, when he first jumps in the book, he says, Jesus is God. And this, and this is what he looks like. And the whole story of the scriptures is really, uh, it's, it's really beautiful like this. So it starts with creation. God creates this, this beautiful world. And then that world becomes corrupted by sin and our disobedience. Um, but then God says, well, there's a plan to redeem it. So we have the story of redemption. 
That's what most of this is. From chapter 3 of this book on to the story of redemption. How that comes to pass. Okay? And not until the end do we come to what restoration is. So we have creation, we have fall, we have redemption in Jesus, and then we have this restoration here. And like I said, I'm not going to belabor the point that Jesus is God. So if you don't believe that right now, um, just tuck that away as we move on through the sermon. Um, I'm not going to try to prove that to you now. Like, all the evidence is really there. Like, there's no more, if you want, if you want to find the evidence for it, like, it's all been, it's all been put out there. Um, I, I don't know if anything I say this morning is going to convince you and give you proof. Because like I said last week, we have faith and we have reason and those things go together. Um, and uh, just going off of Matt's testimony here, uh, for two years I was a, a world religions professor. So I taught world religions, I taught contemporary worldviews, um, and there is no other worldview, Hinduism, Buddhism, and you can name any of them. Um, that's as airtight as Christianity. Uh, Matt can attest to that. He's a Christian. Like, there's no other worldview that's as airtight. So if you go from beginning to end, you'll see the Christian worldview is the most airtight worldview. It answers all your big questions, your big four or five questions, purpose, identity, you know, all, all those. Um, now, that's not to say that these other worldviews, whatever you align yourself with, whether it's Christianity or another religion or just atheism, uh, irreligion, whatever it is, um, that's not to say that you're not going to find some sort of satisfaction or some sort of joy or some sort of peace or some sort of happiness uh, or some sort of freedom. Um, but it's never going to be full you'll never experience the fullness of those things in another worldview. And that's what the Christian worldview has to offer, is the fullness of those things. So I can find peace in meditation and yoga or Eastern mysticism, um, but it's not going to be the peace of Christ. It's not going to be this God of peace. See, it's something that is more fleeting, okay? Peace isn't something that I have to do and have to make. Through Jesus is something that I have. Always. That he's given me through his victory. Joy isn't something that I have to get from my job or satisfaction is something I have to get from my job or from, uh, you know, my family, my marriage, my kids, my uh, sports activities, whatever it is, my friends. It's something that I have in Christ. So that in Christ, all these other things fall under that. Like the only reason I get joy in my marriage is because it's in Christ. The only reason I get joy in my, my kids is because it's in Christ. Now, if it's not in Christ, um, I can still get some fleeting joy and, and happiness in those things. But that's the wrong order. So hear that if you're a Christian this morning. Check your priorities on that. A lot of us are looking at our girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, family, friends, job, whatever, we're trying to find joy and satisfaction in those things, and it's always going to be fleeting. 
always going to be grasping at something. It's because you've mixed up where you're finding joy, where you're finding happiness. Okay? Um, we can only find in the one who says that he's God. All right, let's jump to humanity. So if Jesus is answering this question again, like, why, Jesus? He would say, it's because I'm here. Now, when we think of the resurrection here, this, this verse says that the God of peace who brought again Jesus from the dead. When we think of the resurrection, we also think of well, the, res- the resurrection verifies Christ's divinity, that he was God. That's true. Um, but it also says something really significant about his humanity. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't rise into this spiritual, ethereal, existence he actually rose in a flesh and blood body why do you think that's significant it says in hebrews 2 early on that when jesus took on flesh he was actually made a little lower than the angels so jesus is god from eternity god the father god the son god the holy spirit exists from eternity when god the son took on flesh he actually, for a little while, Hebrews says, became lower than a created being, an angel. He became like us. And why is that? He took on something that didn't belong on him. He took on something that was corrupted, that was broken. But in his death, he killed it. That's what's significant. That's why he had to die. He killed the flesh. And in his resurrection, he took that flesh that he killed and he made it new. He rose not in a not in a uh, another body like this. Like this body, this body still gets tired. This body still gets fat from its shoulders. This body still gets sickness. He rose in a glorified body. A body that is is one that is redeemed without sin. And that's the humanity of Jesus. And so the scriptures are actually filled with all these paradoxes that because when we ask why Jesus, like why did you have to do this? He would say, well, I actually had to become you in order that I would take on sin, and the Bible actually says he became sin for us. He actually became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So he would say, I had to take on sin, I had to become sin, I had to endure death so that you could be raised to new life. So all these paradoxes in the Christian faith, Jesus brings death, we get life, I mean, Jesus' death brings life. Um, The tree of death that he's crucified on, which means that he was cursed. The scriptures say if anyone is hung on a tree, they're cursed. So Jesus is taking on the curse of humanity. And through through that tree of death, it becomes the tree of life. Now we look at this cross, and it's not a symbol of, of death for us. It's a symbol of life and victory. Jesus... I talked about this last week. Jesus actually, in his death, redeems shame. 
takes shame, which is something horrible and bad, and he makes it something good. He takes the shame of the garden from the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. It says the, the scriptures say that they were ashamed and they hid themselves and they tried to clothe themselves with, with leaves they sewed together and they hid from the presence of God. And there's a verse in Hebrews that actually talks about this. Uh, and Jesus says that he took away that shame. We no longer have that shame. Jesus, like I said last week, he finds joy in suffering. That doesn't make sense to us. That's a paradox. And the worst death imaginable, and don't just think physical, because I don't, Jesus' death was pretty horrific, as I described it earlier. I don't know if it was the worst way to die ever. That's not the argument. Um, it's really, 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 really bad for us. Um, but think about the spiritual. He's carrying the weight of spiritual, emotional, mental toll, psychological toll is probably way more unbearable than the physical toll. And he had to endure both of those. So he takes the worst death imaginable and he makes it the best thing imaginable. And what was a symbol of death for hundreds of years is now a symbol of life for thousands of years on the cross. One man has changed history. It's amazing. How can we not think there's something to that? You have to think there's something to that. You have to. If you're a seeker or, or not believer, that has to speak to you. That has to say something to you about who Jesus is. It may not say he's God yet, but it has to say something to you about who he is and what he did in his 33 short years on this planet. I've been alive now one more year than Jesus. Actually, just three years of ministry <laughs> he, he did for me. Amazing. Just, just really amazing. So Jesus actually, in his life, death, resurrection, he actually realizes his full humanity. Jesus is the one who lives out humanity to its fullest extent. So for us, when we actually become more human, we become more like Jesus. That's one of the paradoxes of Christianity. We think, oh, my humanity, my flesh, my sin. No, actually, when we realize that we're created in the image of God from the beginning and realize our humanity, then we become more like Jesus, which means we become more like God. So divinity, humanity. Let's go to mediator. So Jesus dies just once for all sin. He puts away sin. He bears all of our sin. And Hebrews says this is so that when Jesus appears for the second time, when he returns, he doesn't have to deal with sin, it says. This is chapter 9 in Hebrews. It says, so when he comes back, it's not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus this morning? just trying to survive and live your life and trying to figure out what Jesus is saying? Are you eagerly expecting and wanting his return? 
says it's not when he comes, it's not to deal with sin. He's already done that. He's come to save. I was walking in downtown uh, this week with Jonathan. I was walking downtown with Jonathan this, this week, um, and we were in Key Park, and Jonathan's been in the city for three or four weeks, and we got on, we got out on the sidewalk, and he made this statement, he said, so I asked him how it was, like, what, you know, what's, what's it been like for you, you know, living here in downtown, and he said, whenever I walk on the streets, and I look into people's eyes, see is emptiness. All I see is a lack of hope, a lack of joy, kind of blank, maybe misery. And he noticed that in three weeks of living in this city and just walking around. And I just started thinking, why did he, why did he notice that right away? because he has a different set of eyes. It's because he has a clearer vision in Christ that he can see he has hope and he has joy so that he can see when someone else lacks those things. And if that's the case, if that's, if we can recognize in other people as Christians, that means that they can also recognize that there's something different in us. If we can recognize that, they can recognize that there's something different about us. So this is for you Christians this morning. Do people recognize Christ in you? When people look in your eyes, if, if we were walking down the street, if John saw me, he didn't know I was a pastor, would he see Christ in my eyes or would he see the same lack of joy, the same misery, the same despair and hopelessness? Or would he see victory? Missy and I were outside yesterday morning and I was, we were packing up the, the van for the Easter event, uh, which was fantastic, by the way. If you missed the Easter event, If you missed the Easter event, and I'm not keeping tab, so don't come up to me and apologize after this, but if you missed the Easter event, you're missing out. I mean, that's that's all I can say about that. Like, you are missing out on kingdom work happening in our city, with the nations, with our city. Um, it was so amazing yesterday, uh, just being a part of that. And what God has given to us in an event like this that the city has partnered alongside us in, um, that's a gift. That's God's favor. Um, so if you're a Christian, if, you're, if Tree Life is your home and you missed that yesterday, um, don't miss it again. Like that was, that was, um, I, I want that for you. It may seem like a hassle. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a hassle in your schedule. It may seem like a burden. Maybe it is. I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, I didn't love getting up at 7.30, loading up the van, going down the van, packing up eggs, all that 
stuff and being out for 12 hours and kind of feeling that winding loneliness. Man, I love that. Um, but it was so worth it. It was so worth it because uh, it communes with that much joy. So um, I don't know where that came from, but we get to meditate. I mean, we get to mediate eternity and righteousness and hope and joy and peace and victory to people. We get to mediate that to people like Christ was our mediator and we get to do that in other people. So my next door neighbor yesterday, she walks past, we're loading up the van. I am not kidding you. She's my next door neighbor. We, we have had legit conversation. She was literally right here in front of me walking in front of my driveway as I'm carrying something. Um, and uh, I'm carrying something. She walks, she looks at me, I wave and say, hey, how are you doing? She's right here. Dead stare. Keeps on walking right up to her house. husband's left. I heard her speaking on the phone talking to Duncan, his son. She lives in this nice house. She looks like she has it all together. And just dead stare. Nothing happens. Man, didn't offend me because I know I could see it in her eyes. I told Adam yesterday, I'm still going to do some nice things. Awkward and weird for her to get to that, but um, hopefully she'll take it. Um, we get to mediate those things to people, um, and we get to do that uh, in joy. That's why the that's why the the metaphor of light and darkness in the scriptures is so powerful for us. Because when light enters a dark place, darkness flees, and people can't help but be drawn to the light. It gives warmth, it gives light, it gives so much, it gives life. So when we enter our city, are we bringing light or are we just bringing darkness like everybody else? Jesus also, uh, this passage says, took away our sin. It says that he's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. I asked Emmy this past week, on Good Friday, I said, hey, Emerson, my four-year-old, like, what are we celebrating today? Well, Jesus died today. Um, we haven't hung on Jesus for a long time. I didn't really prep her for that. She said, Jesus died today. I said, well, then, sweetie, wh why is it called Good Friday? Why is it good if Jesus died? You're like little little cogs turning in the wheel. It's because he took away our sin. I almost started weeping because a four-year-old has enough faith to believe that Jesus did something good. He took away our sin.
something because you're sitting here because of the schooling you've had or the reason or because you think you're smarter. Right? You can't grasp faith. There's yet some intellectual barrier or some some history with the church or sin or something emotional. You have some barrier stopping you. But Jesus is the victor over that. Jesus takes that away. I've got a little bit of a confession to make. I've been so frustrated with the past year. I know. <laughs> like frustrated and so frustrated and angry with the life that you live, the lives that we live, saying that we believe in the God of the universe, we believe Jesus has conquered, and that he's overcome, and that he's victorious, but we live like he's still in the grave. We live like he's still buried in a tomb, and we live defeated. We don't live like we have joy. We don't live like we have hope. We don't live like Jesus has overcome. We let our sin ensnare us and and entangle us. We let our jobs control us. We let our own desires and pursuits in life. And it it could be good things. We let our, our marriages control us. We let our kids dictate what we do with our lives. That's not the right order, guys. That's not the right priority. Whether you're a believer or non-believer in here this morning, I want you to know that your job no longer has any control over you. That your depression no longer has to ensnare you. That your addictions no longer have to drag you down. to hinder you that your past sins whatever it is your sexual promiscuity your drug habit your abortion has to have victory over you. Don't let it have victory over you. Jesus has overcome those things and conquered those things. So then you don't have to live with a blank stare and and dead eyes and and uh, hopelessness and despair. And you Christians, if you say you worship the God of the universe, start living like it. say Christ is victorious, start living like he's victorious in your life. Stop letting your sin control you. Stop letting it, you know, we, uh, I feel like we get in this cycle as, as Christians of, you know, say we sin and, and we want to 
And actually, we want to never say this, but but we're like, uh, we feel like we have to offer our penance, or we're like the ex- the uh, the the monks back in the day who would whip themselves. Uh, we feel like we need some sort of punishment. Jesus took all of that. Jesus used uh, prison. Living in grace is not living in our sin or the penalty or the consequences of it. Yes, there's consequences, but we're still living in grace even in the midst of consequences for our sin. All right. Um, And Jesus shows us how to do this. And guys, this isn't just in the church. Jesus shows us how to do this in every area of our lives. So all these good things I mentioned, your job, your family, those are all good spheres. We just need to do those in the right order. I love, um, actually both Mason and I love watching previews. You guys like watching the new shit? I love watching previews. We all have April Fool's in eight weeks, so if you got kids, uh, it's mom's day. And uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but sometimes we do. And the best part is the movie trailer, all right? Um, so like I would pay just to watch um, that's what we are as a church when we live out in that way when we live out victoriously we're previews of the coming kingdom we're giving people a glimpse into what the coming kingdom is going to be like and actually what's beautiful about that is the kingdom is here so we're actually living in the kingdom as we're ushering it in it's here but it's not fully here yet we get to do both of those things. Um, yeah, Ben, you guys can come up. This is for, for you guys um, who may just be wondering what, what Christianity is all about. Um, there's this orthodox theologian David Bittmeister, and he says that if we look at history, it shows that, um, because you you take the atheist argument now, the atheist argument, guys like Dawkins and Hitchens, these guys, they really build this straw man argument that's easily broken down, because they're attacking this this, um, exaggeration caricature of Christianity, and um, so they build this straw man, and they say, um, look at these Christians, look at religion, the reason, and Hitchens and Hawkins, they're not defending Christianity, they're against Catholicism, I don't think they're Catholics, um, so they would say all religions came because of this inherent fear of death, because religions came up because we're, we're scared of death and trying to figure out what the afterlife is and trying to make it a good thing, but if you look at the history of religion, look at just the history of Christianity, we don't know anything good about the afterlife until Jesus comes. The afterlife before that is a shadowy existence. We don't know much about it in this world. Um, It's not spoken of in a very favorable manner because, or 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 non, or an unfavorable manner. It's just kind of, we just, there is one. This guy, David Bentley Hart, says that uh, same thing with sacrifice, that religion, despite that, religion has, religion is here, 
and you look at what you're gonna do history, it doesn't make any sense. Sacrifice is inherently broken and irrational. So, but today, when we talk about Jesus on the cross and sacrificing himself for our sins, his blood washes our sins away and makes us clean, it sounds really weird if I say that to someone in this room. It sounds almost morbid, right? That we are, we find joy in someone's death. But we're washed by his blood because that's where life comes. We're given life through his blood. If you look at the history of mankind, sacrifice has always been a part of it. It's always been a part of it. But it's always been human sacrifice, human sacrifice that just has to be punished because of who we think I am. And since Jesus came in and he took this system that is inherent in our thinking and he fulfilled it in one sacrifice, he fulfilled it. He didn't just fulfill it, he overcame it by raising from the grave. It's beautiful. It's really this beautiful picture, which is why all of our Western literature and uh, not just Western, but when you look at any literature really, has elements of the gospel in it. It's all like, uh, it's just pieces of the gospel all, all throughout there. What is distinct is that Jesus did this for all mankind, everywhere, at any time. John Piper, pastor, theologian, professor, he says the most astonishing thing about all of this is that evil and suffering were Christ's appointed way of victory over evil. He took on all the evil, all the suffering, you with a point of decision, a moment, a moment of decision. And that's what faith is. Like when I became a, a believer, I didn't have this, this static experience. God didn't speak audibly to me and come down and point to heaven and say that I am his son. <laughs> Nothing like that happened. It was a point of decision that I came to and said, should I try believing this or not? If all it can bring me is joy and hope and peace and love and grace and mercy and freedom, then yeah, why would I want to believe in this? Why shouldn't I try this? So I don't know where you are in your journey of faith. You may feel very far from God. You may be on this journey. You may feel very close to God right now. But if you're somewhere in here in between, why don't you just make a decision today? either decide to believe or say yes. Okay, what, what would happen if I said yes, Jesus is God, and then decided to live my life in victory instead of defeat? And if you're over here where you're a Christian and you feel, you even if you're a Christian, you feel far from God, I hope that you're awakened this morning to the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus, that you are a victim not defeated, 
for you're in the one who has overcome. And so let's live with eyes and attitudes where we multiply hope and joy and peace and goodness. The gospel isn't bad news, guys. The gospel means good news, and we get to give that to people. So let's do that in our streets.